Welcome to episode 11 of the Media Will Eat Itself podcast. We're talking about careers, content creation, social media, and all the things that make media tick. As usual, we'll be talking to professionals from all walks of life, quizzing them about their journey through working life and how modern media and technology has affected them for better or for worse. It's a media show about media people, and I'm your host, Sean Weston. In today's show, I'm talking to David Kelly, founder of Storm Consultancy, a nimble business that began as a bridge for people looking for something in between traditional creative services and what the tech giants usually offer. I've known David on and off for a number of years, having worked on projects with him in the past and as an observer to the great work he does as part of the Bath Digital Festival. In fact, his role in raising the profile of the city of Bath as a creative digital marketplace is admirable, and it's one of the reasons I invited him onto the show today. Without further ado, I bring you David Kelly. All right. Hi, David. Thanks for joining me on the show. Thanks for having me, Sean. Okay. So, um, despite its permanent historic fixtures, Bath is constantly changing, particularly on the high street, but you seem like a permanent fixture. You've been here for quite some time now, haven't you? Yeah, so we've been in the city, it's actually um, my business, Storm's 10th anniversary next year, which is exciting. Um, and you, the, the funny thing is that the city's got this beautiful Georgian facade uh, that you can walk around as a tourist and you can see and experience, and you have no idea that just behind that facade are some phenomenal tech companies, creative companies. Um, yeah, they've been here for quite a while, and I guess we're becoming one of those now. Well, before we get to the other people that are here, tell me a little bit more about Storm, what it is, and why you set it up in the first place. Why I set it up in the first place is probably the most interesting. Um, My business partner, Adam, and I were actually a playgroup together, so age two, and we ended up, uh, although not not in terms of exactly the same friendship groups, we were in secondary school, college, and university together, and then we lived together. Uh, both of our university degrees really were designed to put us into investment banking and when we graduated it wasn't a great time to be moving into banking as it was just after uh, the banking crisis. So Adam and I thought that we would do something we'd always had a passion for which was to build a technology company that we would want to work for. So that's why Storm was set up as a technology company. Uh, The company now primarily focuses in building platforms, apps and tech product so normally you'll find that if you are a, an entrepreneur or a business and you think there's an opportunity to grow, expand, do something differently and you've got an inkling that tech is involved, that's probably the time you come and have a chat to us. Okay. What did you do before Storm? Uh, so I was straight from university. In. Straight in. Straight from university. I, I actually was one of these characters who was hedging his bets and probably still out today uh, in that I uh, studied management, uh, the, M- the MBA predecessor, uh, BBA at Bath University. And um, basically what uh, that means is I did a bit of law, a bit of uh, e-commerce, a bit of marketing, a bit of HR, a bit of everything mm-hmm. because I didn't know what I wanted to do. Uh, my business partner, Adam, straight in computer science, knew where he was going, where he was going to end up. Uh, but we dabbled in business together, doing all sorts beforehand at university, making websites and such like. Mm-hmm. So this was a natural progression onto, onto a business. So you'd already started to sort of get that marriage of tech and business knowledge, put it together. Yeah, I think we were probably starting to learn what not to do. <laughs> um, and I think there's also a, a good lot to be said about being very naive in the early days, because if you if you know five, ten years down the line, what you do, you'd be exceptionally scared. I mean, the, the, the regulation, the paperwork, the legals, the insurances, 
it's not to say we were ignorant to those when we started up, but we st- certainly didn't hold them in anywhere near the esteem we do now. Mm. So you just kind of get on with it and enjoy yourself. And we've tried to keep a sense of that as the business has grown, that we try and keep the enjoyment of what we do core, which is actually one of the reasons we've not grown the business in terms of headcount. Mm. So our business has um, grown to a point where Adam and I were doing exactly what we wanted and were earning good money and were working with people we enjoyed. It's a temptation then to take any spare cash and hire more people, take on more projects, but you end up, especially in the agency world, in this kind of having to feed the beast. So you end up needing a sales team to to feed your your development team. And and actually where we've got to, we've got a very good solid team of uh, senior people and all the spare cash has gone into investing in our clients. So we actually now own a group of four businesses. So Storm that makes stuff, and then we've got three other businesses that, that we're in, we've invested in, which are digital products themselves. So we've grown our headcount into the kind of 25, but not through Storm. We've done that through investing in our That's kind of a businesses. nice refreshing way to hear about it, actually, because usually expansion goes in, in one conventional direction, doesn't it? You know, everyone thinks this is the model, this is the pattern, so now we have to do it this way. And you, and you didn't, you've kind of fed it back in. It's kind of refreshing. Yeah, something a bit different that we enjoy doing, and it's worked out quite well so far. So tell me about uh, the Bath Digital Festival, because you also have a hand in that, don't you? Yes, so uh, one of the chaps who worked at Storm uh, 2012, I think it would have been, is a really nice guy called Mike Ellis, um, who had come out of a business, uh, EduServe, I believe it was, which was a big corporate in Bath. And he was looking to do something where he was more hands-on in a smaller team, but he's quite a senior chap. And um, he and I realized at one point that we had booked to go to i think it was a creative bath event on the same night night we were supposed to be running ourselves a um uh, bath spark event and also we'd been asked to speak or one of us had been asked to speak at bath camp all of which are different techie networking things and we thought this is stupid what how have there are only like four things that happen how have they all managed to happen on the same night um and it was kind of from a, a pint that we said, why doesn't it all happen all in one splash once a year as a really good way of amplifying everything that's going on? And also, as I, I spoke about earlier, trying to tease people inside that Georgian facade and realise that there is more stuff happening. So Mike especially put a huge amount of effort into, into that first year, and I was lucky enough to be one of the founders. There were a few team, uh, my wife Katrina as well, uh, that first year. We put a lot of time and effort and energy into it. And uh, yeah, we've just had the sixth, I think it is, Bath Digital Festival, which was 86 events running over 10 days, or it might seven days, I think actually it was, um, which has been fantastic. And, and luckily my involvement has <laughs> decreased slightly because uh, it, it, it's a it's, huge effort. I imagine it's just yeah. time consuming, isn't it? Or intensive, yeah. so yeah. much going on. Has it always been 10 days? So, no, it has, it's, it's, um, it's moved around a bit actually. Mm. So I think the, the, the first one was, a week Monday to Friday, then there were a few which were a week long, some of them then crept into 10 days, and I think we kind of compressed it back down now, um, so it's it's moved around a little. Yeah. It usually depends when things like half term are, so you've always got this weird thing of we want to have some of the festival in half term so that kids can come along, yeah. but equally for anyone who's going away, you don't want to miss the whole festival, so you have a bit of the festival hanging outside of half term, yeah. so it's usually straddling a weekend or something like that. Okay. Well, I want to talk some more about those hats because you you wear two hats there. Okay. Mm-hmm. So there's also creative bath, and then there's something called Bath Bridge, and. and not only are you wearing lots of hats and getting involved in things, but there is that sense of you love Bath. 
yeah, you love what's I happening do. here and you're a part of what's happening. <laughs> so I, I actually think that Bath is a huge city because I grew up in a tiny little village in Cornwall. Uh, when I went to look at universities, my parents kind of got a map and drew a line along the M4 and said, there aren't any universities <laughs> north of there. <laughs> I think they just didn't want to have to like, drive up to Nottingham every time right, I, I right. needed uh, feeding or something. <laughs> but um, yeah, Bath's a beautiful city. And I mean, I'm, I'm lucky enough I live just south of Bath now in a little village. But I like the... I like Bath as a, a little microcosm because of its physical uh, you know, geographic size. It's a, it's a bit like a reflection of Storm in terms of a company that you have a really tight-knit community. If you look over to somewhere like Bristol, next door neighbour, Bristol's a phenomenal city and there's so much going on. But what I hear um, from people who are in the different groups and networking groups and such is that it's quite fragmented. There are almost quite a lot of cliques and in Bath, you don't get that so much because we're, we're kind of just small enough that there isn't room for cliques. So you actually end up with almost one big community. And um, that, that's a really positive and, uh, you know, it's a real asset to the city. Yeah, to, to keep things small so that everyone knows everyone and, or, yes. or there's an idea that can be shared. But easily. just enough people to, for, for there to be momentum. If it all boils down to the same five people, energy and love runs out. You need just enough people that... So that the guys I sit on the steering group of uh, Creative Bath, which you, you, you alluded to there, that's an entirely different group of people who sit on the uh, Bath Bridge um, Community Interest Company. And that's an entirely different group of people who work with and run the festival. But they all know each other extremely well. Uh, so, you know, we've got, we've got a, good, a good group of people kind of looking after the city. Okay. Let's talk more about your business now. Okay. So, so less about the other hats that you wear and let's talk about you and Storm. So you pitch yourself as a modern sort of technology savvy business. Um, are you attracting clients as savvy and, and fearless, if I may, as yourselves? Uh, or is it easier to think uh, to attract businesses that know have, have no idea about technology and that you can change them? So we, we, who are the... Um, who are the more rewarding clients to work with? The ones that have no idea and they're coming to you or the ones that have an idea? That's a good question, Sean. That's a good question. I don't think there is... I don't think I could draw a line down and put put one or the other either side. I know I mean like that. I ask questions where you have to draw <laughs> lines. Um, I think that the, the people who we look for are people who are excited about the opportunity of using technology. So... It doesn't matter whether they are technologists who are excited about something that they personally can't do, but they know we can do for them. Mm-hmm. That's perfectly fine. There's a couple of companies in Bath who do lots of tech and we work with them because our tech is slightly different. But equally, an entrepreneur who has no idea about uh, what's possible in tech, or they might have an inkling, but really need some expertise. As long as they're excited about the prospect, it's, it's that energy that, that is that you feed from really the energy of the client who, who thinks there's something exciting happening uh, and I think one of the nice things about keeping the agency the size we have is that we always have more work than we can handle and so as I said the, 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 the temptation is we'll just hire a few more people so that we can do it but by keeping supply slightly lower than essentially demand you are able to pick so, and we do, to some extent, pick the projects that we really want to work with. Uh, you know, we, at the moment, even in, 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 the, in the website part of the business, which is quite small, 
we are only running two projects. One of them is for the National Institute of Coding, which is the 70-something million pound government-led institute. Uh, and the other is for the Engine Shed over in Bristol. Oh. Uh, and so those are two really cool projects where we can genuinely add value. Like I said, they're not really on the tech side, they're more on the website. Um, but those are the two projects we're working on right now, and we're not doing any others because, because those are the ones we're excited about. Okay, yeah. And in the tech line, we've currently got some Pepper Androids upstairs. Mm. We're doing, they're kind of like five foot white humanoid robots mm. which have got tablets strapped to their chest and you um so we're doing a piece about ethics in ai so that's a really exciting project but at the other end we're building a great uh, app for a company who no, a company a guy who i've known for a long time who's who's done extremely well in his in his first business and is now opening essentially a coaching business he and he's a phenomenal coach himself he's writing an app to help him and other coaches and it's brilliant. I can't wait to use it myself. Mm. Uh, so he's a very energetic guy. So we, 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 we dot all over the place and can pick and choose what we like. Yes, which, which is a, a, um, a luxury, I, I think, for some businesses. That yeah, don't absolutely. Have that, that luxury. Just, just uh, sorry, a distraction about the ethics of AI. I don't know if you've been reading lately that, that, that the, the driver, the self-driving cars, and having to come out with this list of... What is morally acceptable? Who, who can we say? <laughs> Do you run over the grandma or the, the pram? Yeah, absolutely. Seems to be in the spotlight at the moment. I guess you've been reading about that. So, interestingly, on that, so I think one of the things that gets batted around, AI gets batted around a lot as, as a, a word, an acronym. And part of what we're doing is actually to kind of take the veil off AI because it, most AI is neither artificial nor intelligent. <laughs> Uh, it's very boring, straightforward algorithms, no different to, you know, a timer in your, your hot water heating. Um, and so one of the projects we're actually doing is an experiment whereby you can print out, and by that I mean computation, you can display on, on a screen on the Android's chest what it's thinking. So uh, you might tell it to, to turn left until it sees a stimulus. And so it will display turning left, turning left, turning left, and then it'll see something and you will see what it's seen, what it's going to do about what it's seen, and therefore what it'll do next. And by essentially showing it as a series of commands of what it's thinking, you realise that it really is very basic. If you take that screen away and you just see an Android turn towards you, look up, move towards you and say hello, you, you think, oh wow. I mean, yes. But as soon as it's being printed out in action by action on the chest, you realise, oh, it's really just following through a, a cycle of bits. Yeah. And when it comes down to cars, that's essentially what will happen. There will still have been a human somewhere which will have said, look, you've got to weigh up a set of criteria and whichever score comes out highest is the one you don't run over, right? It's not actually going to be at this stage making what we term sentient decisions. And we may never get there. Hmm. I'd like to come back to, uh, um, let's, well, let's talk about the human side of, of uh, clients as mm -hmm. well because th there is that uh, temptation when someone comes in and they, they're not tech savvy and they come to you and they want some help there is an element of change management as well um, and, and ha helping someone adapt to the things that you're offering how much of that is a part of your business yeah, <laughs> change management so I'd say for some it's a baptism of fire um, and for some they're very very happy to to pick up new concepts ultimately if, if it's not a world you work in it's a huge learning curve I think what makes it comfortable for our clients is that usually that learning curve is reciprocal 
So if I take a few clients that we worked with last year, one of them was in uh, fintech, that's the financial technologies, one's in life science and biotech, and one is in uh, the US education market. Now, we had to learn a heck of a lot about each of those three things at the same time they were learning a lot about technology. Mm. Because my, I could actually probably uh, just about hold my own in a conversation about antibodies and life science reagents now, whereas beforehand I wouldn't have known what a life science reagent was. Mm. And I think that, that two-way transfer of information, the fact that they're learning and we're learning, makes the whole thing more comfortable because it feels less like you've come in to be lectured. At the end of the day, we do have to keep in mind that these guys are coming in to spend their hard-earned money. And you could take them through a very long educational process where you explain the minutiae, the theory, the best practice behind every decision. But sometimes in order to get the best value for their money, you haven't got the time to say, come in and we'll do a, a five-hour session on why this is a good idea. You just have to say, trust us, this is a good idea. Yeah. Um, and I think that that's all around building up the right relationship and rapport with your client and making sure that they, they trust that you'll explain and teach when it's necessary yeah. but equally you will tell them what needs to happen in a situation where it's just going to save time to do so yeah well let's talk about the technologically savvy people that come to you now uh, the opposite spectrum how have their expectations of what they want from you changed over the years in terms of technology having changed they've kept up with it so what are their expectations like that's a that's an interesting an interesting thought. I've not, I've not really um, considered that before. I, I guess that the fact that they're in the technology industry probably means that they are in general keeping up with trends. But the fact they're in a room with us means they aren't up with what we're doing. <laughs> Otherwise, the chances are they'll be doing it themselves. <laughs> it's a fair point. I think that if I can, I'd almost broaden what you've asked me to say that the. The difference, though the biggest difference you see, isn't actually between technologists and non-technologists. The biggest difference you see is between uh, personal life and work life. So to, for an example, uh, you and I, Sean, if, if we think about what we expect in our personal life uh, in terms of interacting with software, well, we may have iPhones or Androids. They are beautifully designed, slick. You touch something and it works. If you want to make a shopping list, you can probably ask Alexa or Siri and it will start doing it. Your, your, you know, your TV's probably smart. Your toaster might well pop the toast down on its own, etc., etc. Transfer yourself into a work situation and you're dumped in front of Excel 97. You've still got to print three things out. Yeah. You see where this is going. Yes. And the fact is people are willing to accept that in their work life, the standard of technology is so much lower than the standard of technology that you expect from your car, which heats your seats and you don't have to put a key in a slot anymore. Mm. And actually, what we're finding is that people are starting to expect the same level or polish or, or thought in their work-based IT and software that they're getting at home, mm. which is a huge benchmark. If you're producing software for the work environment and people are no longer willing to accept just Excel, um, and I think that, that that has been a really nice thing, actually, because you, you're going into businesses and you have a great point of reference to say, well, if this was a thing that was being released by Apple or by Google, what would you expect of it? And then you say to them, well, why shouldn't you expect that in your working environment? And how can we build something to that level of quality or standard? 
And it, it, all of a sudden, it's as if you've kind of taken blinkers off of somebody and they go, oh yeah, of course, why, why haven't we been doing that? Why, why would we accept this inferior thing? Mm. Um, and, and that isn't, you know, that's no different between technologists or, or no. people who, who and, don't consider themselves. And this is, this is a clear point of marketing at the moment, because I work mainly in financial technology now. And this, this is one of the things, how to sell the proposition of a better customer journey to a, a traditional bank. And the cliche is, people are used to Netflix now. You pick it up on one device, they can watch it on another when they get home. That's how they want to manage their finances. All right, so marketing now. How do you guys market yourselves to a number of different audiences? Uh, We we don't do a great deal of what I would consider uh, traditional marketing. So we don't take ads. We don't... uh, Twitter ads... Google ads, etc. Nothing like that. Almost all of what we do is just around telling the story of the clients we're working with. So it is sharing in their successes, um, celebrating with them, talking about what we're excited about, what they're excited about. And most of our business actually then comes through referral. I would say 90% comes through referral. Keep in mind, we're not trying to fill a huge pipeline because we are self-restricting in terms of the amount of business that we take on. But what that means is we focus on giving the clients that we have got an exceptional experience of working with us all the way through from the very first time they step in the door to uh, what happens after their product has launched. And that usually means that at some point they will be talking to five or six other people who quite like that experience. And we write about the process. We write about the successes that those clients go on to have. Um, We also sponsor a bunch of events, but... In all honesty, that's generally because we enjoy sponsoring and going along, not necessarily because we're expecting business. It's a bonus. It. It's a bonus. Exactly, exactly. So we sponsor some stuff that is is really exceptionally unlikely to uh, <laughs> to ever do it for business, but it's it's a good cause. So that's why we do it. All right, let's get a little bit nerdy. All right. So a bit of a disclaimer for the listeners here is that we've worked together before. We have. Um, and uh, I'd like to talk about WordPress. Okay. Um, I'd like to know: Are you guys still? predominantly in the WordPress sphere. Mm -hmm. Can you do a brief explanation of what WordPress is and and, and tell me how has that changed? How has your business changed? Very timely question, uh, Sean, yes. Tell more. So um, our business is split fairly into two. So most of the complex technology is done, again, yeah, your your geeky nerdy alert here, so sorry, uh, in a language called Ruby on Rails. Um, and Ruby on Rails is, a, is an exceptionally good programming language for building product quickly. So it's very well written and it's, uh, it's used by a lot of, I'm, I'm <laughs> now struggling to think of any great examples, but huge companies use, use Ruby on Rails to build their, their big complex stuff. When you end up in a world where most of what you're doing is producing uh, content, then you're more likely to end up in a content management system, which is WordPress. Or, or I should say WordPress is one of. So uh, in the world where you and I worked together previously, that was a world of publishing and you guys had a lot of content that needed to be published. There is no point building a custom system for that. You adopt something off the shelf like WordPress. And WordPress was predominantly known as a blogging platform uh, in, in its early days. So it was a great way of basically getting blogs out. It has changed colossally over the last five so or six much. years, hugely. And it, it really tried to shake off its blogging yeah, days gone by. 
and it really is now around empowering people to create content and put it online but that content could be your products your services your your story your team as opposed to a blog what it doesn't do is get particularly complex so if you ever wanted to go down the route of uh, i don't know you, you could never make the, the netflix, netflix platform from wordpress you could never write amazon.com based on wordpress and the biggest change uh, to WordPress, which is very timely because it is in, it's now-ish, is actually a thing called Gutenberg, which I'll try and explain. Basically, the way in which most websites work at the moment is that you have what the, the, the member of the public sees, what you access, and then there's an administrative login somewhere. Behind the administrative login, you have a, a set of uh, entry boxes. So an entry box for the title, an entry box for the description, an entry box for the team member's name, and upload a photo. And it's all box, 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 box. Like filling in a form. You complete the form, you hit go, and that's what appears to the member of the public. Gutenberg says, let's not have forms anymore. Let's actually show the website of the public see to the administrator. And almost like a Word document, you can kind of type and edit what's called in context. So it looks like you're almost editing the proper live website. And that's a huge step away from what WordPress has done previously with this lots of form fields approach. Nobody really knows whether it's gonna be successful yet because it hasn't been rolled out to the general public. And I can tell you that from a developer's point of view, it poses huge challenges. Specifically, if you imagine that you go through a really lengthy process with an agency to work out who your users are, what their motivations are, and therefore, what user journey they might take through a website, what's best, what's most likely to achieve your key performance indicators. And you come up with this beautiful hypothesis. It's designed, it's wireframed, it's tested. And then you let your, I don't know, I'm gonna pick on interns here for a moment, but let's say you, you, you let your intern at the admin and they realize they can move all the blocks around the page now. And suddenly they do. And suddenly they do, or they go, well, I'd really like to have a Christmas widget in here and a Christmas widget appears. And this flow that has had potentially tens of thousands of pounds worth of brain power put into can be broken by an administrator. Um, not necessarily on purpose, but it's likely they're trying to just slot something in where it probably they wasn't good designed. intentions, but, but yes. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and so that's the biggest challenge for us. It's not the technology one. It's actually, it, it's letting people tinker a bit more than perhaps they've, they've ever done so before. Yeah. And that could be good and that could be bad. Yeah. Yeah, when it when it's it, it's probably more beneficial to have that administrator, the one who holds all the keys to all the doors, and yeah, yeah, because I'm not so sure about it either. I've worked in in WordPress for over ten years now. You don't realise until that ten year anniversary passes, and you think I, I know quite a bit about this. Yeah, and I'm not so keen on the Gutenberg side of things, but, but that's by the by. I mean, we could go right back to I started uh, making websites in Microsoft Publisher. Oh wow. Um, in the 90s, late, early, late 90s. Um, and then Dreamweaver and, and I... When, 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 when in the 90s oh, did you start? I think late, i got to say, probably around 97, 98. I'd have been 10. Right, okay, <laughs> thank you, Dave. No problem. <laughs> <laughs> so let, let's talk about that. How, how has technology changed for you? Not just your storm times, but from your early days at the university and, and you know, how much has it changed and, and what do you see for the future? Are, are you a... Are you a person who looks out for the trends? Are you one of those future futurists, futurologists? What, what is the word? <laughs> I'm not a futurologist. Futur no. <laughs> so Facebook uh, launched during my first year of university. Ah, yeah. uh, well, I say launched. It uh, came to the UK right. in, in my first year of university. 
Um, it, it wasn't that far back before that that Google launched. <laughs> so in my lifetime, we've gone from nothing to just really having uh, you know, Microsoft and Windows. We've gone to Facebook and Google and Instagram and Pinterest YouTube, and you, yeah, yeah, Apple and the launch mm. of the iPhone yeah. and it's all happened. Um, so yeah, I mean, I'm glad I'm, I'm I'm glad I'm around to see all that right now. In terms of looking forward, I personally um, really love what I would say is slightly uh, cutting edge tech because it's the the world I live in, but. If you look at the guys who, who work at Storm, they're the ones who are really on the bleeding edge. They're the ones who are messing around with things that probably aren't even released to the public yet. I, I kind of like it when they've had their little play and it's got to the level where I'm allowed to touch it. So I was, I, back in the day, I used to be allowed to do some programming and that, that stopped long ago because I was told by one of our developers that I introduced more bugs than I fix. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, my, my background isn't in programming, but nevertheless, I, I, I've, done, I've done plenty. But I feel that's probably where I'm at as well. I'm, I'm a technologist, but I, I need some people to have been in and, and ironed out a few of the kinks. Mm. Uh, that said, I'm really into, personally, into my home automation kind of stuff, you know heating lighting yes. door locks all yes. sorts of stuff that, yeah, me that happens too. me too because we we can as we get older don't want to remember we, <laughs> you're still we. a very young man you're still a very young man it's 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 the bit that you can understand yes i can fit that to the window i can fit this to the other side exactly i know how it works i'm yeah. not afraid of it precisely yeah. precisely that yeah. exactly yeah. so um we, we've come to half an hour uh, oh. it goes very quickly i'd like to ask you now if you could divulge some wisdom um, some advice for, for people 10 years younger than you who are going through university right now. It could be on anything, entrepreneurship, technology, you know, starting a business. Tell me, what advice would you impart? Oh, gosh. Have we got another half an hour? <laughs> um, I think that the one thing to uh, be mindful of at the moment, if you're going through university uh, and you're thinking about what you might end up doing, uh, automation is, is something that is ever-growing and jobs are being automated away, maybe not on a daily basis, but I think that it's important to realize in those kind of situations that the low hanging fruit goes first. So we might not need um, bookkeepers, but we're gonna need financial directors and financial controllers. We might not need legal discovery, but we're likely to need lawyers. And so if you're worried about, well, where is technology going to be and what might it stop me doing or where are the opportunities, just try and think one step down the line in terms of what's likely to be automated away. Um, and uh, on, 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 the, on another note, I guess, is no matter what vocation you're going into, technology is playing more and more a prevalent part. And so being literate in technology beyond Microsoft Suite is exceptionally important. I think that of the businesses we work with, which are in all sorts of fields, the guys who are doing well have got a really good grasp, not necessarily of the nuts and bolts in terms of the programming, but they are exceptionally flexible and adaptable to picking up new technology. In the same way as you, Sean, you know, I know for a fact I can give you a program of something you've never seen before. You don't need to know how it's built, but you, you're someone who could learn it in a very short period of time just because you've had that kind of experience and background. And if you're able to do that, you're probably going to be well fit, fitted for the, the, you know, the working environment for the future. Mm. Good stuff. Finally, how do we contact you? Oh, bat symbol in the sky normally. Um, <laughs> so you can grab me on my uh, my Twitter handle, which is dhkelly. 
But equally, if you want to get in touch uh, with me at Storm, uh, you can go to stormconsultancy.co.uk and my email address is david at. So by all means, drop me a line if you want to have a chat. Equally pop in if you're in Bath or nearby. Drop me a line and we can go for a coffee. Fantastic. And thank you very much for joining me. My pleasure. Thanks, Jon. That was David Kelly. You can find Storm at stormconsultancy.co.uk and David's on LinkedIn too. If you enjoyed our chat, please leave a rating on iTunes or whatever podcast service you use. And thanks again for the messages of support for the show. Keep them coming and take a look at my own website at seanweston.co.uk for more information about me. And until the next episode, bye for now.